tonight? Does anyone have a word or anything on their heart tonight before we get into the word? Praise the Lord. Bless you, Cliff. Amen. Praise the Lord isn't right. The heavenly host praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Resounding chorus. <laughs> on that midnight clear. We're going to be one verse, we'll be all over the place, but we're going to, my focus is going to be Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. It is a little Christmassy for the, for the beginning, <laughs> and then we're going to be going uh, quite a few other places. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> amen. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Has anybody ever had a dream where it is so real and so vivid and it's almost as if it's, it's real life and you wake up and your hands are clammy and you broke out into a sweat and sometimes even you dream so hard that the sheets are wet. I mean, you just, I mean, it is, it was just physically and mentally exhausting and you wake up in a panic and you look around and you get your bearings and finally what do you say you kind of take a big deep breath and go Phew. it was only a dream it was only a dream so in a dream joseph was visited by an angel of the lord in which he told joseph to arise to get up and to get out of town <laughs> to take your wife to take mary to take jesus and get out of town because Herod was indeed out to destroy Jesus Christ, the young child. Now, when he woke up from the dream, I imagine he went, that felt real. Man, I'm glad that was just a dream. But the reality, it wasn't a dream. It was actually what was really taking place behind the scenes. I say all that to say, I want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because I believe in the world today, I don't think so much, we are going to talk about the United States, but we're on the back end, thankfully, because we live in a wonderful nation, even today we live in a wonderful nation where we are free to worship Jesus Christ, there are still principles and foundations set in place in our constitution, in our, in our foundation of our, of our great nation, uh, that allows us to practice our religion, Christianity, as well as other religions, but that we can do that freely without the result of persecution. But we do; we have privileges and, and beautiful liberties that other places in the world do not have. And that Christianity around the world is actually under attack. It's not a dream. And as much as you would think that it's a dream, it's not a dream. And we're going to read some statistics that I've looked up and researched recently. But that this is what's happening, and we are seeing shadows of it coming into America, but it's been happening all over the world, I think, to be honest. Uh, uh, I don't know what to say. I try to step on pins and needles when, or eggshells when I'm saying this, but uh, I think it's important for our faith 
that we understand that this is a part of the kingdom of God, that Satan, who is the prince of this world, prince of power of the heirs, and you know, he has control of this, and our kingdom is not of this world. And Jesus says that we're going to talk, uh, Paul says it very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 of what's happening behind the scenes. That we get a glimpse of what is actually happening. See, Joseph didn't know what was actually happening. But the angel told him, this is what's happening. You don't see it, but it's happening. And if you don't listen to my word, and if you don't abide to my direction, then you're going to be caught in the crossfires of this attack that is trying to destroy that which you hold most precious. And can I tell you tonight, the thing that I hold most precious that the enemy wants, he doesn't care about my money, he doesn't care about anything else. In fact, he only wants my family and my wife because my family and my wife and my marriage is built on principles of Jesus Christ. He wouldn't attack it otherwise. But that's what Satan wants. Anything that is of God, that represents God, and he wants to, as he's been trying to from the beginning of time, dethrone God. He obviously won't, have, won't do that, but it doesn't stop him from attacking but Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 and on. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We're alert, we're awake, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things. This is what's happening. We don't, the unbelievers, we're going to talk about that in a second. The unbelievers don't see what we see. We have a glimpse, as Joseph got, of what's happening, actuality. That the world says it isn't really happening, but we know it is. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. This is why. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, would shine under them. Mike, here you get some leftovers from Bible study yesterday, but I wrote it down after I left. I go to a Bible study with Mike White back there. We just recently did a little nook underneath our stairs. And as I was painting around the shelves that I had varnished, I had to paint again. And I put painter's tape to encompass to not get any of the paint on the varnished piece and when I was peeling the tape across uh, with my box cutter, I accidentally took a piece of paint off in the far corner where it tapers down. Now, when there's no light in there, no one can see it. And it's so far in that crack, no one even notices. Well, sure enough, Megan gets in there and is examining the craftsmanship. And she says, there's paint off in there. I said, yeah, but no one can see it. She said, well, when the light shines on it, you'll be able to see it. And sure enough, she was right. And this is what the devil tries to do. If it keeps it in the dark, then nobody will know. But the glory of the gospel is that it shines the light of Christ. And that's what it says. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light... To shine out of darkness, that is our ministry, that we would shine our light in the midst of a dark and dying world, a sinful world, that we would be set apart. Me and Dawson are just talking about that, people. Man's example. When we just look just like the world, when we act just like the world, then our example is not any different. How can we shine a light when we're not lit up for Christ, you know? 
And that's why it says, For who God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthly vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And look what it says right here. This is the attack. We have to understand Paul understood it. Paul, <laughs> I mean, he suffered it. Demonic persecution at every, I mean, starved, jailed, whipped, every point. And finally they took his life. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. So we see the reality, but it doesn't give us, once again, we don't faint. He said that at the beginning, verse 1. Well, this is our ministry, that's what we're called to. And because of it, because we've received mercy, we faint not. But we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Read a statistic of the day. 250 million Christians worldwide experience high to extreme persecution. 250 million. 2018 Newsweek reported, quote this, The persecution and genocide of Christians across the world is worse today than any time in history. Last year, in Egypt, Christian Coptic women were targeted, kidnapped, and forced to convert to Islam, and sold as domestic servants, which are to be sexually exploited and physically abused. Just last year, drug cartels killed 23 leaders in Mexico and four in Colombia specifically for their faith and standing up against the cartel's criminal activity in the country. In Mother's Day of 2019 in Indonesia, Islamic family launched a suicide bombing attack on three churches, killing 10 people and severely injuring other 40. The Christian governor of Jakarta was found guilty of blasphemy, forced to step down strictly for his faith. Additionally, the Chinese government started a systematic campaign to destroy church buildings and all Christian-related structures, beginning with the demolition of one of the largest churches in China where over 50,000 Christians worship every week. 2017 alone, the killings of Christians in Nigeria increased more than 62%. We can go on and on around the world. Thankfully, we live in America, but it is happening. We are slowly seeing it. Just recently, Brian Buescher, Supreme Court Justice Thomas, Gershitz Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, all criticized for their faith, specifically for their faith. Campuses throughout the country, uh, outspoken Christians are demeaned, debased, targeted sometimes for their beliefs. Academic social groups, college organizations, uh, we see businesses, Colorado-based Masterpiece Cake Shop, Arlene's Flowers in Richmond, Washington, and on March 22nd, San Antonio uh, City Council announced that they would no longer allow Chick-fil-A in the San Antonio International Airport over the chain's anti-LGBT behavior, is what they said. All under the guise of tolerance and inclusion, but we see that it's more than that, because it is of our faith. 
And once again, it, it could be a flip of the coin. There is other faiths that are being criticized and persecuted. Just recently, South Bay United Pentecostal Church went to the Supreme Court against Gavin Newsom in California and was denied a request from California Church that was allowed to operate under the same conditions as similar secular businesses and was denied. They had asked to hold services at 50% capacity, just as other businesses were, instead of its arbitrary cap, which limited their attendance to 50 people, regardless of the size of their church building. Restaurants, bars, gyms, casinos even, operated under a more permissive rule. And even locally, just last year, I was taken with a photo praying with some gentlemen in the locker room of Pocahontas High School. And an organization got a hold of it, wrote a letter, made a phone call, an investigation was opened <laughs> because I had prayed with students. My issue isn't so much that. My issue is that, once again, it's the liberty's not fair. If I'm a 17- or 8-year-old in certain states, I can have an abortion. I can, become, I can get diagnosed on opioids and other antidepressant drugs, sometimes without even consent of, a, of an adult, even underage. Tattoos, piercings, contraceptives, I can do all that. And it's fine, because we have a liberty in America to do that. But when I say I want to pray with students, then that's just not safe and it's indoctrination. I have issues with that. But once again, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that it's nothing new. This is what... We have seen happen just as it was in Matthew chapter 2. Why? Because Herod's kingdom was threatened. And we have to understand, as Jesus Christ, as John says, that he must increase and I must decrease. For us as individuals, as Christians, that's fine. Because we know the authority of God. And we know the sovereignty of God. And we know, because of what he did in our hearts, that he has right away. He has authority to do whatever he wants, man. He deserves it all. But the problem with the world, which is owned by, which once again is operated by Satan, the problem with that is, is that this throne is being threatened. Because it can't be both. Jesus makes that very clear. You shall not serve two masters, because what will happen is you'll love one and hate the other, and you'll serve one and not serve the other. Amen. And what did Herod say? Did he say, bring me the kid, I want to kill him? <laughs> he said, bring me the kid, I want to worship him. Bring me the kid, I want to worship him. He said, I, I, no harm will be done, but God knew better and warned Joseph. And that's what the devil is. He's, he's just a liar. He's just a deceiver. We need to know better. And, and I'm going to talk about that for a second because God began to deal with me. What do I do? I mean, obviously, we're not called to violence and we're not called. We are called to be Christian, to turn to the cheek, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And, and that's the problem so much uh, uh, with so many Christians is that we, we, we get violent and we, we take up sides. And that's not what we're called to. We're called to do as, as, as he told Joseph to do, which we're going to talk about. That's no much a location because he told uh, Joseph to to get, arise and go and take the child and your wife and go to Egypt until I bring the word. But we're going to talk about, actually it's not a location physically anymore because of the Holy Spirit, but a location spiritually and where we can hide until God gives us word. So we're going to talk about that here in a second, but I want to turn to Matthew chapter 13. Because think for a second with me about that little baby Jesus in which Herod was trying to destroy. 
Do you think that the baby Jesus was a threat to the kingdom? No. The man Jesus was a threat to the kingdom. The baby Jesus was a mere baby. But as everybody knows about children, they grow up. And they become men and women. And that threatened Herod. But Herod's thought was, if I can destroy him before he becomes a man. So in our spiritual life, the devil wants to do the same thing because we talk about the seed, which is the word of God. And that word of God, in fact, in the, in the Hebrew, uh, it's sperma. I think in the Greek, actually, seed is sperma, which we see as a, a growing. It's an example of how, once again, procreation on the physical side, biological, we see that sperma. Sperma, which is the seed, which is the word of God, which grows and becomes a human being. So that's spiritually God's trying to do that. But he wants to get us before we are fully grown in our Christian faith. And he said, if I can snuff it out early... And that's the thing, we have, to, we have to be aware of that. This is not a dream, that the devil really does want to harm our spiritual condition, to rob us of our joy, to rob us of our witness, to rob us of our faith in Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 13, he talks about this parable, of the parable of a sower. So we can use the seed in the same way that Joseph and Mary had that little child. The little child was not a threat, but we knew that if that little child grew, it would then threaten the kingdom of Herod. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. And other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Then he says this in verse 9. Once again, a dream state versus a reality. What you see versus actually what's really happening. Herod told the men, go and find the child, I just want to worship him. But the angel told Joseph, go because Herod wants to destroy that child. So there's a big difference between what is being told and what's actually happening here. And Jesus says in Matthew right here, in Matthew chapter 13, in verse 9, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Sounds kind of redundant to me. Everybody has ears. <laughs> Everybody should be able to hear with those ears. But he said, no, no, you're not listening. You're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. You have to look... Deeper. And the disciples got up, they got upset, and they said, they came and said, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries. Look at that right there. It is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even... That he hath. And look at verse 13 through 15. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seen, see not. Wait a minute. How is that possible? <laughs> but they, it's, 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 it's the spiritual discernment that takes the, the Holy Spirit with the Word of God working in conjunction together. Because they seen, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Elias. 
which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Oh, now look what he says right here. This sounds familiar. This sounds like 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Lest at any time that they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart, ah, and look, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that the prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. So what is Jesus? He tells the parable. They ask him, why do you speak for me in parables? He gives the illustration of what he's trying to t teach them, that only, that only through Jesus Christ can the actual mysteries of the kingdom of God be revealed. It is not doing it. He said even the prophets of old wanted to know and see these things and hear these things, and they couldn't. But only because, uh, only through Jesus Christ can they be revealed. So then he says, hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. I thought we already heard it. <laughs> I thought in verses 3 and on, you just told me the parable of the sower. Thorns and, and sun being scorched in the fertile ground. That was the parable, right? And he said, no, no, no. There's something deeper. Take the blindfold off. This is the reality of what's really happening. When one heareth the word of the kingdom. And this, I want to use this illustration in how Herod was trying to destroy that which was small that soon would grow and produce something that could threaten the kingdom of God. So, uh, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. But he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, Yet he hath not root in himself. He's still small, still not grown. Those plants that have been around for a while, that root system. I've seen those plants, those Lebanon cedars and those big red oaks over. They say the roots go from out. I mean, forever. Like to knock over the tree is practically impossible. And you've seen some of those great hurricanes that have knocked over those trees and they're in the news because the root system goes, you know, tons, huge. But it says... Yet he hath no root in himself, but dureth for a while. Oh, and look right here. For when what? Tribulation or persecution ariseth because of what? The word. Telling you folks, it's this word which is Jesus Christ. You cannot separate Jesus Christ and the word of God. Because the Word of God is Jesus Christ. He said that. We talked about it Sunday morning. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we behold first of the Father, full of truth and grace. We see that. So you cannot separate the Word. So the minute this Word comes out, 
The devil hates it, every bit of it, every jot and every tittle. And any time that you try to increase your faith, and that small little child begins to grow and begins to threaten the kingdom of, of this world, you know, that's what happens when this thing grows, and that's what the devil does. Right when you receive it, he tries to get it before you even understand it. He said, if I can just get it, and that's the seed that's been cast away. But he said, if, you can, if I can just get it right when he receives it, and it says he received it with joy, but didn't have enough root, only dureth for a while. But when what? When tribulation and persecution because of the word. It's not anything personal. It's not you that the world hates. The only thing the world hates about you is what's in you, which is Jesus Christ. This is why the world's not persecuted as far as that. The, the problem is it's the Jesus Christ. He says that. They only hate me because they hated... I mean, they only hate you because they hated me first. Then it says this. Oh, yeah. Because the word, by and by, he is offended. He's offended. And we see that it's choked out. He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. So he says to he says to the magi, find the child, bring him to me, so I, the king, can worship him. So that's what's the, the guise is that and this is what the devil that's what we gotta understand about ego and fame. It comes out of the skies that oh man. We're going to elevate you to a point. It's going to be so. But this is what happens. Power becomes corruption. We, we talked about that a little bit ago. That this is what happens in the world. And people become celebrities. And, and even pastors in these huge megachurches, they become celebrities. And, and what happens is they, it's under the guise that, oh, we're going to elevate you to the point where, man, we're going to worship you. But what's really happened is I just want to get you to a place where I can. I'm going to act like I'm going to worship. The devil doesn't want to elevate you. He doesn't want to elevate you. He wants to dethrone God. He wants to destroy anything that might. And that's what he does. So the deceitfulness of riches. It's not riches. It's a, it's, a, it's a fake promise. The deceitfulness of riches. That, oh, no, no, no. You'll be satisfied with money. You'll be satisfied with the biggest house. The best car. You'll be satisfied with the, the best looking man or the best looking woman. You'll be satisfied with that many Twitter, follow, Twitter followers. You'll be satisfied. Oh, that's the deceitfulness of riches. And it chokes the word. Chokes the word in its early stages. It, it's almost heartbreaking to think that Herod put out the decree to kill out any man child. I mean, barbaric to think of that. I mean, I don't know how they did it. Suffocate or just put a pill. I mean, you think it's barbaric. But that's what the devil wants to do to you spiritually. To choke out any form of the word. If that word is even crying, get it out of there. No sign of it at all. Deceitfulness, riches, choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Ah, but he that receiveth, he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word. And understandeth it. Understands it. It's not easy being a Christian. We've been, we've been so compromised and desensitized because we live in such a wonderful country. That we are to a point that any bit of harm, any bit of persecution or tribulation, we don't know what to do. We don't. And yet every other country, they walk for miles to go to church. No roof. 
I mean, I'm talking about tsunamis. And they're sitting there in knee deep of water. And we get mad when the air conditioner's on right now. The fan's going a little bit too fast. My, my bulletin's kind of blowing in the air. Can we get something done? I can't worship like this. And I hate to say it, but it's just like a father to a child. We've spoiled our children so much that they don't appreciate anything. And we live in such a wonderful country that we don't appreciate what we have. And the rest of the world is being persecuted every single day. Christians are in basements trying to keep quiet. Because any, you know, I forget how many countries, but the Bible's illegal still. And the Bible is illegal in certain countries today. So what do we do? Well, we do as Joseph did. 147 verses. I mean, 147 verses contain the word arise. 36 books in the King James Bible. 147 references to arise, to get up, to wake up. Joseph was in a dream state. He was sleeping. And in the dream, the angel said what? Wake up. <laughs> Go on. Get up. It's time we wake up to the reality this is the Christian life. That all the martyrs and all the apostles, they had it right. They didn't do something wrong. They did something right. That they realized that their faith would be persecuted. Because this world does not love that which we love, which is Jesus Christ. And not much has changed from that decree which Herod blood out. So we get up and we realize that the reality is Jesus Christ, as he draws nearer to the moment when he comes back for the church, this world will wax worse and worse. Number two, go and hide yourself, is what he said. Arise and go and hide yourself. What do you mean? Be afraid? Be a coward? No, no, no. This hiding place is not a location physically like it was for Joseph, but spiritually. We need to allow Christ to fight our battles. This is the problem with so many Christians. We think we can fight this battle on our own. <laughs> and it's not a physical battle. And this is why we lose so much ground when we try to fight a spiritual battle with our fists. It's not a, it's not a physical battle. The best thing we can do is stay our, keep our faith, stand our place, and just pray like we've never prayed before. Christ, I need you to fight my battle. I don't know how many times in Scripture. Psalm 32, 7. Thou art my hiding place. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Psalm 119 and 114. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. He's not going to let us down, folks. Now, I'm not saying be a doormat to the world. I'm not. But you've got to wrestle that out with fear and trembling. You've got to figure out that out. But I'm telling you, to act like the world and the kabat come get physically, this is a spiritual battle. And this is why he says, bless them that persecute you. Pray for them that, you know, the opposite. This is a spiritual battle. Romans 8 and 1, we know it. It says this, therefore there is no condemnation to them that what? Which are in Christ Jesus. Hidden in Christ Jesus. That's why there's no condemnation because the fight's not ours. We've been sanctified. We've been justified. We're living by faith in him. He's fighting our battle. That's why we rebuke Satan, not in the name of Brad Joseph. 
We rebuke Satan in the name of Jesus Christ. We put Jesus Christ in front of us and the devil has to flee. It says that. In Colossians chapter 3 and 3, one of my favorite verses, For ye are dead and your life is hid in Christ Jesus. (laughs) That's what we are. We are hid in him. I'm thankful for that. But the minute I come out, it's going to be about me. You know, and we must decrease to a point where he is fighting every battle. So we wake up. We realize that this is the Christian life. It is not a safety bubble (laughs) that we are going to be persecuted, that the world is not going to like the things that we like and love the things we love. Our kingdom is not of this world. We just might figure it out. (laughs) Get it in our bones that this is not our world. This is not our home. We are just pilgrims. We are just strangers in a foreign land. And one day we're going to be home forever. So we need to wake up and we need to hide. Hide in Christ. Allow him to have it. And lastly, we need to move when he says move. Because if you read on in Matthew chapter 2, that he stayed in Egypt for a portion, Herod died, and he said, you can go to Israel. Went to Israel and come to find out a new king had taken over, and he was worried for his life. But God continued to move. And that's the, even though it is possible, what's that old verse? Be still and know. Not to be stationary. I'm not doing anything. But to be hidden in Christ and to move as he says move. To, to be conscious of what the Holy Spirit's telling us in our life. To continue to maneuver. It says this in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We are strongest when we listen for that call. We don't move ahead of time. You know, imagine if, imagine if Joseph would have said, I know he said stay in Egypt, but I got places to be. I'm going to leave a little early. You know, and Herod had not been dead. They still would have been looking. So we're hidden in Christ, but we move as he said. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew the strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Stay awake. Stay alert. You know, we're not going to grow weary in this thing. We're not going to grow tired. We're not going to fall asleep. Because why? Because we're waiting upon the Lord. And it is in waiting upon the Lord and hiding ourselves from the Lord that surely we're at our strongest point. I need to be better about that. I do. I get ahead of it. I'm a car before the horse and it's not a proper way to conduct our Christian life. Because I need to allow him to, to navigate all these forces that are around me. Because he knows what I don't. He sees it before I see it. I'm thankful the angel uh, delivered that message. And he told him, he said, get up, rise, hide yourself until I give thee word. We need to stay in this word. This word's going to navigate our life, where we need to go, when we need to stay, when we need to speak, and when we need to shut up. My kids aren't in here, are they? (laughs) When we need to be quiet. Because oftentimes we get ahead of them, and we, we shouldn't. And Titus 2 and 13, man, I could preach this forever. Looking for that blessed hope. Looking for that blessed hope. Keeping our eyes not on this world. Because, man, it can just get you down. But keeping your eyes on that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. And let me just finish by saying this. This is why it's so important for our relationship with Christ to be personal. It was personal with Joseph. If it would have been any other kid, I don't think he would have had as much importance to it. He would have said, wait a minute. This kid is going to maybe cost my life because, let's be honest, if Joseph would have fell into the hands of Herod, do you think he would have just killed Jesus? 
<laughs> he, would have, he would have killed Joseph and Mary probably too. He would have wiped it all out. And that's the thing. With our associations with Jesus Christ, we are now... But it has to be personal. Otherwise, you're going to trade it off at the first sign of danger. This thing needs to be the most personal thing we ever had. And I can't help but to think that I have Jesus. It's, what, it's enough for me to go to the grave. It is the best thing ever in my life. I would, go to the, I would give my life for my children, for my wife. But Jesus Christ, man, he's perfect. Surely I would give it. But let's slip the shoe on the other foot. For Jesus, in the, in the midst of all that he went through, all that agony. And imagine someone said, who are you doing this for? Brad Joseph? <laughs> You're going through that for Brad Joseph? Forget it! Don't, you wouldn't even have to hit me once. I mean, that's it. He ain't worth it. But he went all the way for me. Because it was personal to him. He loved me that much. He loved me that much to go all the way. And that's the thing. It needs to be personal for us. Because the minute, as we said in the parable of Sower, the minute we come up with persecution or tribulation or deceitfulness of riches, at the first sign of danger, we're going to give this thing up and say it ain't worth it. It ain't worth having to go through what we go through for the gospel. Folks, it is. It is. It is the greatest possession we have today. Our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to wake up. This is not a dream. The devil hates your soul. He does. He's the enemy of your soul. He said that. The thief cometh to do nothing but to steal and kill and destroy. There is nothing else. There is no ulterior motive for the devil but that. If, if they can, I know they made TV shows about he's a detective now. Lucifer is a detective, and I guess he's pretty good at it. Folks, that is a lie. It is the deceitfulness of this world. The devil wants nothing but to steal and kill and destroy.